Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, today I wanted to start with a scripture that I think is, it's been monumental for me over the years and I think probably for you as well. Um, and we'll, we'll lead in with it. I feel like it's a scripture that would be a good uh, theme for the year even. And it's something I started to talk about a little bit last week and I'll really expound on today. But this story of the Bible from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, there's this theme that we have of what is a really a war of two contrasting trees. The battle of the two trees, if you will, the war of the trees. And we see it in the book of Genesis. We see one tree being the tree of life. This beautiful, wonderful tree that gives life. And this other tree in the book of Genesis that is known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, the, very, the one which, which mankind was told, don't eat of the fruit of that tree because it will bring you to death. It'll, it will bring death. And, and we understand, you know, hindsight, looking back through the whole the sum of the scriptures and seeing through the whole thing this war that is waged throughout both the old and the new testament between these two trees and even the enemy the satan the devil the nakash the serpent in the book of genesis who came to adam and eve and deceived them saying eat this fruit and then you'll be like god god has actually told you not to eat of it but it's because he knows that your eyes will be open and then you'll be like him. You'll know this, you'll have this knowledge which you feel is forbidden, but God is actually not a good dad and not a good father. He's actually holding something back from you so that he can lord over you. And it was obviously a lie. It was obviously a deception. And he deceived them thinking that if you'll do this, there's something you can, to, you can do to become like God. He knows, eat this and then you'll be like him. The oldest trick in the book. Mankind, the one in whose image, the image of God, man was created in the image of God to be the imagers of God over all of creation. And the enemies sowing this lie into their minds to try to get them to work in order to be like who they already are like. You know, oldest trick in the book works, religious works, do something to earn something that God's freely given you. You know what I mean? That's, the, that's, the, that's religion in a nutshell. Jump through hoops, do these works, do these, do these things in order to gain something. And the reality is, is God's freely given his full inheritance and his full self in, for mankind. He is the inheritance of mankind. And so we have the war of these two trees. We see all the way to the end, we see the tree that wins. If you read the, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, you see the tree of life, which is alongside the river of life that flows from the throne of God. It produces fruit every single month of the year. Even though heaven is out of, outside of time and space, for some reason it's, it's said to produce on a monthly basis, which to me is quite symbolic that it is not something that you're supposed to partake of when you die and go to heaven. It's for right now. That's what that's saying. And not only is this fruit produced 
uh, monthly, but also the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. There's something to the access of the tree of life who we've understood now as a person, it's the Lord Jesus, but it is also this very real tree that it is meant to heal mankind. It is meant to actually do the exact opposite of what when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, released all darkness, released all sickness, released all disease into the world. You know, when, when Satan comes to Jesus and he says, when he's tempting Jesus for the 40 days in the wilderness, and he shows them all the kingdoms of the earth, this, he says, all these kingdoms, they've all been delivered to me. Just bow to me and I'll give it to you. He wasn't lying. All the kingdoms of the world, the earth realm, had been delivered, the authority had been delivered over to the Nakash, over to the serpent, over to Satan himself. But it had, been, it had happened in the very, very beginning by Adam and Eve. They yielded to him. They yielded their authority. Now the beautiful reality is the tree of life, Jesus himself is actually showing up to reclaim that authority, to reclaim the keys of death and hell and the keys to the kingdom of heaven to deliver those to, to us so that we would actually connect to God. You know what I'm saying? And bind that which is in heaven would be bound in earth, to loose that which is in heaven onto the earth. You know, The tree of life, the lineage, the family tree that we are cut from, the one in whose image we're created, the fruit of his spirit, all of the tree um, vernacular throughout the entire scripture, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, the fruit of God's spirit coming out of us, manifesting us, manifesting from his imagers into the world, transforming it. All these analogies. And I wanted to talk about that tree today, but, but I, I, I guess I said I was gonna open up with the scripture, right? So let's do that. It's, it's Jeremiah 17. Verse 5 through 8. This, this, is, this, is, this is literally talking about, if you can see it, the two different trees, the war of the two trees, and showing that the decision is up to us which fruit we eat. And it says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he'll be like a shrub in the desert and will not see when good comes. He shall, uh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Boom. So one tree and the curse assigned to it. Another tree. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Yeah, Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8. It's interesting. You've got the contrast of these two trees, and a, and a major uh, word that I think I want to use today is going to be trust. We're going to talk about the essence of faith even, learning to trust truly and fully in the Lord. Amen. Not what in your works or what you can do, because remember, that was the trap of the, of the snake. Do this and then you will be. There's something else to trusting in the Lord, not what you, can't, you can do, that actually causes you to abide in your true family tree, your true lineage. These two trees, these are true two lineages. These are true two different ways that we trust. But one is the curse. And it's curses the man who trusts in his own strength, in his own flesh, and the things which he does. Because by doing that, your heart departs from the Lord. Man, 
it's so black and white to me. It's like there's a line in the sand and we can even, we can even, we can do assessments in our life sometimes when we feel ourselves inside of a swirl. Maybe you feel tension or pressures in life or a decision that you're trying to make. So many times you can go back to this very scripture right here, Jeremiah 17, and you look at those two trees and you understand one is the way of life, one is Jesus, the ancient way, and one is the way of the flesh, the way of works and the way of religion. One brings complete and total confusion, one brings peace, but it's like, hey, where am I trusting right now? You ever get yourself in a swirl and you grab a note card or a few note cards and you write down your actual concerns and bring them to the Lord? I mean, I have yesterday. No, uh, but you know, if you're like, hey, I've got a few things weighing on me, but I realize I have not connected to the Lord over this thing. So I'm going to actually ask him to speak into it. And I'm not going to trust my own intellect, my own wisdom to try to work and navigate this and that and this and that. I'm going to actually go and receive counsel from the one who speaks. That's what Hebrew says. He is the God who speaks. It's all, all true Christianity, the true new covenant, the veil being ripped, the, the voice of God coming into our life. The Bible, the, the word of God written for us, you know, more powerful than any, anything else in the world, his, his eternal word. And I love that because cursed is the man who trusts in man, whose heart departs from the Lord. And it says he'll be like a shrub in the desert that won't see when the good comes. But he'll inhabit parched places in the wilderness. And I thought, man, that's really interesting because you've got one tree that says he won't see when the good comes. In other words, there's good God wants to release to him, but his trust is in himself. And so he's went into the path of anxiety, which is putting your faith in fear, which is of the flesh. So you're in a place of anxiety. And because of that, you can't see the good that God actually wants to release to you. It is a trap. Because God is always there and he's always got his hand out to lead you into the truth. He is a good shepherd. He's not a good shepherd sometimes and sometimes he's, he's kind of sporadic and he's on or off or he's absent sometimes. You know what I'm saying? He's always a good shepherd so his path is always going to be into, into life. He always knows where he's going. Even if it doesn't look like, even if it looks like the valley of shadow of death, it doesn't matter if he's, if he's with you just like David understood, Psalm 23. It's like, ah, oh, this is the right path. I'm not going to be tricked by the matrix or by the forecast of this world. And that's what this is saying. Trusting in the flesh causes you to go into a place of anxiety and become somebody who you are not. That's what the message is going to really hit today, right? But it also will cause you to miss the good that God is wanting to bring into your life. Sometimes it might be disguised as a trial or as pressure, but he wants to give you something great, you know. But... On the contrary, but blessed is the man. This is the life. This is the covenant. Blessed is the man who trusts, whose hope in the Lord, because he will be like a tree that's planted by the waters. He won't fear when there actually is a drought. It's like when the heat comes, he won't be anxious in the year of drought. He won't cease from bearing fruit. So like, even if there actually is a legitimate drought, it won't affect him. So one won't see when the good comes because the good is there and he doesn't realize it. One is actually maybe even planted in a time when it's not a good time, but he still bears fruit and it doesn't make any sense. And he is the light. He is the city set on the hill. He is the one that people are supposed to see and say, hey, I want what you have. We are called to thrive in every sphere of our life. Amen. Wholeness, health, our relationships, our, our friendships, our families. 
our companies, our businesses, our church, our finances, whatever, you know, there's supposed to be life in those things that people want what we have. Our attitude, our nature, our physical bodies. Yeah. Life. Hmm. Two opposing trees. I want to talk about our actual heritage. There's a man, he's not talked about much, but he's known as the father of our faith. And in order to talk about him, I have to do a, a brief four or five minute backstory of the history of the time that we were in, because I think this topic is going to kind of flow for like probably several weeks, if not months, you know, and I'm really excited about it because I feel like this year, and I, I mentioned some of this last week, I, I feel like it's a year we're stepping more into the reality of God being our good father, yeah. you know, and the true inheritance and heritage of our spiritual family. And there's one man who's often called the father of faith, who's named Abram. And, and most of us will, you'll recognize his name is Abraham, but that's after it got changed. And so, but Abram, he's this guy that God called to make a nation and a people out of. Um, to understand the story, you have to go back and understand there was major rebellions that happened in the world against God by his Sons, the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, the Elohim of the Old Testament, the gods of the Old Testament. And so I won't do a whole lot of just, you know, go into that too much. We've done it so thoroughly here. I think the majority of you have a, a pretty good understanding of the scriptures and, and, and that stuff. But, you know, there's in Genesis 6, there was, there was this great rebellion where the sons of God, these, they, they violated their heavenly abode and actually invaded the earth and took took wives from among the beautiful daughters of men and they cohabitated and, and produced what the Bible calls as, well, the King James will call the giants, right? You know what I'm saying? But your word there is Nephilim. And so these hybrid, these half angelic, for a lack of a better term, and these half human were all over the world and they corrupted almost all flesh. Now there was one who was righteous in all of his generations and all of his flesh and all his genealogy and was not mixed with the blood of these Nephilim and his name was Noah. And obviously, you know the story of him. God calls him to do something absolutely impossible. Building the boat, let alone all the dang animals, you know what I'm saying? But there's this flood of judgment that covers the entire earth, and there's this purging of these wicked ones and these beings that are corrupting the entire earth and destroying people left and right. One major rebellion. Now, you know, in Genesis 6, it says the, the, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. So there was re-incursions of these people, of these beings, you know, all, th all throughout the scriptures, and which is why David and David used to have to write, route giants. They were Nephilim and, and, and Goliath's brothers, and David's mighty men were fighting those guys. You know, Moses and Joshua had all kinds of wars against these people groups, uh, if you really studied out through the Bible. But after the flood story, you have Genesis 10, which is called the, the Table of Nations. And it, and it talks about these, depends on how you chalk it up, these either 70 or 72 people groups or nations all over the world um, that the world became divided and they all had different languages and all these things. And then in Genesis 11, it talks about how all those nations came into their being. And Genesis 11 is, is many of you have, have heard that story, it's the Tower of Babel. It's the story of 
you know, Nimrod and some of these other guys that were also inspired and possibly connected to the Nephilim and to these Elohim and all these demonic things that, you know, the Apostle Paul calls principalities and powers in the heavenly places, these, you know, divisive, supernatural, spiritual forces over the world. Anyways, uh, so they inspired these people and they were in connection with these people to build this tower in a plain of Shinar in the book of Genesis. And they were trying to build basically a stargate into the spiritual realm and all these different things. And as you guys know, if you read Genesis 11, it's, you know, God says, let us go down there and, and confuses their language. And that's where all the language of the earth comes. So Genesis 11 is talking about where we got Genesis 10, all these different languages and people groups. All right. I think we're following pretty good. Um, and so, you know, Genesis 32, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32 is a commentary of Moses talking about Genesis. And he literally talks about that scenario when the sons of Adam were coming together and plotting this plan. And then God came and divided them. Uh, the, the people in the nations were literally divided according to the number of the Benai Elohim, the sons of God. So the sons of Adam, sons of God in the same verse. And, and it's literally saying these, these spiritual leaders that, that were corrupt and were instituting Babel and were behind the scenes cooperating with mankind of this rebellion against God, when God comes down and, and somehow confuses all these languages, the world was divided over these 70 or 72 leaders. They were all the kings or principalities and powers over this region, and all the people were divided according to all those different gods, demigods, whatever you want to call them, and that's where all the languages were. Okay, so that's a nutshell, and if you've never heard that, you know, you're probably like, holy mackerel. But I mean, I think the majority of you have. Um, it's, it's quite easy to do thoroughly in the Bible, in the text, you know, as I've just done, but like in depth. But that's not what we're doing today. Um, but the thing about it is after Babel, which is Genesis 11, we have a brand new start and it's Genesis 12. And it's where God picks one person. So... The, ter the war of the tree, the tree war of the tree of knowledge has dispersed itself all over the planet, all over the world. And God, who doesn't even have a people anymore, everyone's gone astray and been divided, picks one guy. He picks one guy named Abram, Abram, you know, and his wife, Sarai. But we're, you know, we're in Texas, so we'll call him Abram. And Sarai, you know, and their name, just like Jesus always does to people, ends up getting changed to Abraham and Sarah. So which is interesting because the breath of God become gets placed into their name, those H's, which is really beautiful. But what he does is in Genesis 12, he starts with one person. So he divides all these people all over the world. And he says, well, I'm going to be the God of this guy and I'm going to redeem the whole thing. And it's just like, whoa. So he starts, talk about ground zero, man. He starts with one guy named Abram, and he calls him, and he gives him this promise. And it's the most beautiful thing, but the reality of it is it's our inheritance, and it's our family heritage. And when we look at his life, which we can do for quite a long time, and his sons, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob's sons, and, you know, Joseph, and, you know, you, you see this beautiful supernatural spiritual heritage of people walking around that the, the book of Hebrew calls them, they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth who were looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. They were on this journey 
And it wasn't for a physical, necessarily city. They were looking, they were going out in faith in living for an inheritance and a heritage that was outside of the plastic realm that we call reality. It was something eternal. They were geeked out, man. They were... They had a vision that was so much different. They realized, well, this place is temporary and practical, and he is my home, my heritage is in him. And they were getting to know God, all of them. And they did the most bonehead idiot things constantly, which is hilarious. If you just heard how sketchy these guys were, make you feel good about yourself, probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, wow. Um, but he picked one. He's like, all right, he, he lets, you guys want to conspire against me, the sons, the Benayolahim, the Elohim of the Old Testament scattered them over their own regions, gave them people groups, and I'll start with one. And we hear him in the, in, the, in the Old Testament called the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my grandfather's named Daniel, my dad's name's Harold, and my name's Daniel. It'd be like, I'm the God of, you know, what did I just say? Daniel, Harold, and Daniel. It's just like, that's not big. Joel Osteen got more people than God. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's not a lot of people. Like, that's who you're the God of. You know what I'm saying? Like, talk about a humble beginning. But it's like, these people groups, these families, but that's how God was known, which is such a joke. It's so hilarious. The eternal king and the creator. He said, okay, I'll just be the God of, and he's the God of all, you know? But what he knew, he's like, through this lineage, I'm going to manifest something that will redeem all the 70 or the 72 nations, all the people groups, all the scattering, all the tongue confusions of Babel. I'm going to do something in Pentecost, right? Where people, the tongues of fire, the tongues which are divided at Babel are going to come back over the people. And these people are going to speak in new tongues and people are going to recognize their language. And, and it's going to be the reversal of what happened in Genesis 11. It's going to happen in this thing called Christianity, which is the redemption of all mankind as my sons and my daughters. And the father of lights is once again going to be the father. And the scriptures that we see that, that this father of lights, uh, from whom all the families of the earth have derived their lineage, we're going to come like, oh my gosh, we're actually from him. We're created in his image. But it's such a humble beginning. And he calls Abram, Abram. And he says to him in Genesis 12, how he starts. It's like that. This is the, the, the chessboard of the world. God says, okay, everyone's against me. Everyone's been poisoned by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the Elohim are taking advantage of them. I'm going to come and I'm going to pick one guy named Abram. And I'm going to go talk to him. And he, says, he comes and he says to him, he says, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's us. Yeah. This is the promise to Abram, but it's the promise to us. It's like in you and in his seed, that's where Jesus was going to come from, that lineage. All of the families of the earth would be blessed. It was always about a family. Father, Son, Spirit. It was always about a family and bringing us all fully back into it. And we're in it. <laughs> you know? But what an incredible promise. Hey, by the way, get out from your own country and from your family. Man, that, talk about walking by faith. This may not look the way you've been raised to think it would look. But, but you are now following me. And I'm the one who 
where your inheritance comes from. All the old ways of thinking, all the old ways of doing things, all the, the five-year plans are like, hey, your inheritance. It, it was like, neglect the ways of your forefathers and follow me as your father. Because I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a nation out of you. And it's just like, make a what? And in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth, the entire world. So in the very first promise, all these people were scattered, all these people were divided. It's like, hey, I love them all. I'm coming for them all. And this is the plan. Walk with me. All the families of the earth, I'm coming to redeem. It's wonderful. It's funny. I like Hebrews 11. We call that the hall of faith. You know, by faith, this person did this. And Enoch, you know, was, went with, to be with God, you know, without dying. And, you know, it talks about all these things. But when it starts about Abram, or Abram, Hebrews 11, 8 calls him Abraham. But it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And that's, I, you know, if you can catch that, that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It's like, by faith, Abraham left after his inheritance because God told him to go and he didn't even know where he was going. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, buddy, pack your bags. I'm going to show you where your inheritance is. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. All right, cool. Because like, the way we think is like, yeah, well, show me the map and show me where we're going and um, where the destination is, how long it's going to take. I'm going to count the cost of this thing. And it's just like, yeah, no, just, just pack your bags and leave where you're at and follow me. So we're leaving. Road trip. Does anybody like to go on a road trip without a map, not knowing where you're going? I'm just following a ghost that came and talked to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Welcome to Christianity. You, it's like, hey, you don't even have a right to have it all figured out. You know? Green grass, quiet waters. Valley of the shadow of death, breathing down my neck. It doesn't matter if I'm following him. I don't even have to see exactly where I'm going. I'm just following him. The sheep aren't tapping the shepherd on the shoulder and saying, hey, man, where are we going? You know what I mean? It's just like they're just walking at the back of his ankles and being thankful for where he's leading them because it's always going to be good. Yeah, man, you know, that's we just work here. So Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going, but he was down. I'll follow you. It says, so Abraham departed with the Lord as the Lord had spoken, spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abraham was uh, 75 years old, and his wife and, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, they gathered all their people and everything they had that they had that acquired in Haran. There's some backstory there, but they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And it says, as they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place called Shechem. And he came to the oak of the tree of Morah, the oak of Moreh. And it says, and the Canaanites were in the land. Now, if you know some of the history, you know the Canaanites, they were spotted, there was Nephilim, there was bad guys there. Didn't matter because even if, even if, I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm just following him. I'm not taking an inventory of like, oh, that's a sketchy road to go on. You know what I'm saying? I'm just following him. He's my road and there's nothing sketchy about him. You know, maybe a little strange, um, unconventional, maybe, but I'm following him. But he comes to this place called the Oak of Moray and it says the Lord appeared to him. 
And he, pro and he gives him this beautiful promise, to your descendants I will give this land. And it says, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And it's this interesting concept. We've talked about blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It'll be, a tree, it'll be like a tree planted by the waters. We talked about the tree of life that's in the book of Revelation. We've talked about these, the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But you see, Abram leaving his lineage, leaving his family tree, if you will, and he's meeting up with God at an oak tree, at a massive oak. And I, I will say this, like, I feel like the Bible, and I know this for a fact because it's you know, so full of it, it is so much more profoundly mystical and supernatural than we give it credit for. We can, we can sometimes just read it really fast, but there's several times where the Lord appears, just like we talked about Gideon last week. He, he appears at these oak trees, at these large terebinths or oak trees, and he shows up, and it's, it's interesting. The tree of life himself is manifesting himself, and in these places, Abram's like building altars to him, and he's receiving communication. Yeah. It's funny, because I was talking to Laurel, and she's with the kids in the back, but, you know, you know, she used to be all, like, way off into the New Age movement and all that witchcraft and stuff, Wicca and all those things before she was a Christian, which is hilarious. But we were talking about this, and she was like, hey, there's actually, there's actually these beliefs that oak trees and massive trees are actual portals in the New Age movement and all these different things. And it's just like, yeah, of course there is, because they rip off everything that's our spiritual heritage in the Bible. You know, so anyhow, he comes to this massive oak and there the Lord appears to him at this oak in this meeting place. For some reason, it's marked there in our Bible and he gives him this promise. And that I'm going to give your descendants this land. And it's like Abraham's in this connection and he ends up building an altar to the Lord. I love that. That word Moray or Oak of Moray means the Oak of the teacher. And it's like here, here Abram is walking this life of faith. This Christianity, if you will, for us now, he's a father of our faith, of what it looks like. He's leaving the way it's always been done. He's, he's choosing his family lineage to be aligned with God. He's stepping into his inheritance and his true walk. It's unconventional, but he's meeting God, who is his teacher, and he's leading him into truth. Yeah, it's true. That is, it is, it is the walk of the Spirit. Um, so he moves on from there. Um, to, to the mountains east of Bethel, pitches tent there with Ai on the east, some, it's Ai or Aya on the east there, and built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord, and he continues uh, moving south. And um, it comes to pass, when he gets close to Egypt, this is hilarious, this shows you kind of what he was trusting in. He says to Sarai, his wife, there was a famine in the land, and so they were going down to Egypt where there would be food and stuff like that and water. And he's like, look, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. So whenever the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this dude's wife is incredibly fine, and they're going to kill me, but they, they're going to let you live because you're so fine. <laughs> Genesis 12, 12, read it. I mean, it's there. Um, so please... Tell him you're my sister. It's like, what? <laughs> Nicole, just tell him you're my sister. These guys look really rough. You know, it's like, it's funny. Um, just tell him you're my sister. So, so he comes to Egypt and the Egyptians saw the woman. She's very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh saw her. And uh, these are 70 year olds, 70 plus year olds. You know, they didn't age at the same rate as us. They were closer to the, to the tree of life 
in their lineage than we are now, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's like, man, they were like, whoa. All the, all the Egyptian boys were like, yo, do you see this <laughs> Sarai girl? Like, oh, yeah. What's the deal? What's the deal? Like, oh, that's her brother. Oh, uh, okay. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. House. So the, Pharaoh, the princes, they were like, yeah, we're going to see whose girlfriend this is going to end up being. And, and, uh, so, but they treated Abram well for, for her sake. He had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and female servants and female donkeys again. You know. But it says in verse 17, I love this. So he, was so he was treated well. He had favor because they thought his wife was so fine and good looking. And we're like, wow, she's really going to be something in Pharaoh's house. And um, so he, he was so anxious and afraid for his life and his livelihood that he was willing to lie and, be, and, and take on an identity that wasn't real in order to get his needs met. And it's like, we want to be like, knock, knock, buddy. Remember who you're following? You know, but Abram, Abram doesn't know God yet. He's just meeting him. He's his teacher. He's leading him. He's just, he doesn't have years of Sunday school and Bible stories. And, you know what I mean? He's just meeting this, this guy showing up at an oak tree and saying, hey, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. Like, okay, cool. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to follow you. But there's still trust being built. But it's, it's, it's blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in his own strength. What is Abraham relying on in this scenario? He, he forgets, like, oh my gosh, I'm following Yahweh. I'm following God. Surely I'm taken care of. Right? But since he doesn't feel covered, his fear gets the best of him. He takes on an identity that's not his. When we take on an identity that's not ours, we Im we're imaging something we're not meant to image, right? An image. And this, it's completely and totally a lie. See my sister, you know? Oh yeah, so the beauty queen's brother is over here, so we'll take care of him, just to butter him up, just in case, you know, one of the princes or Pharaoh, whoever is gonna end up dating this girl and marrying her. And, 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 and he comes and he takes, he's trusting in his own flesh in his own strength, in his own scheme in order to get his needs met. But what does God do here? Because God is showing him like, hey, you can trust me, buddy. He's learning to trust. In verse 17, it says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Which is interesting. Now, he does this twice, by the way. But in, in this situation... The Lord comes and intervenes and protects Sarai, Sarai, he protects Abram, and he comes and intervenes and he tells Pharaoh, don't mess with her. Don't you, know, don't you lay a hand on her. And, and God gets Abram's back, even though he's being shifty, sketchy, lying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's building his track record. Why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Anyways, here's your wife. Get out of here. So, so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What a lesson, dude. What a lesson from the teacher. <laughs> it's funny. God bails him out. Hey, buddy, I have you covered. You don't need to be afraid of Pharaoh, little guy. But what was Abram learning from the teacher? The Okamore, you know, it's like learning to fear the Lord, you know? 
Learning, hey, if you follow the Lord and you're conscious of Him, it puts all the fears in right perspective. Then you don't feed upon those, contort yourself to something you're not supposed to be, and change your path or your walk. You know, Abram keeps going on in chapter 13. And it says he was very rich in livestock. So he, he, he left Egypt and with Lot went you know, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar that he had made there. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. So he went back to that place of connection of his teacher. I feel like this is prophetic. It's like he's going back and forth into this connection and getting things sorted out. Hey, there was a famine. I got really, I got really sketched out. And so I actually went to the machine. I went to Egypt, the religious machine, call it the world machine, call it the Babylon, call it whatever you want to try to get my needs met and to feel safe. And turns out, hey, that was actually a trap. It could have ended really bad, but God was actually building a track record, a resume with the guy. I said, hey, buddy, I got you covered. That was a big waste of time. But he came back to the place of connection and trust, which is where we're all called to go back to. How many times, dude, do we get into situations and we can be, even if it's not a complete and total freak out, it can be anxieties and pressures or whatever else. And then that voice comes like, hey, have you connected to the tree of life, to the Lord over this? Because surely his wisdom and his direction will actually lead you through it. And you don't have to worry about the negative that you are putting your faith into, you know. And it's Abraham's getting this. He's, he's just learning this. He's just meeting God. You know what I mean? So he goes and he's moving through this next portion of land. Maybe we'll stop. This is the last story. We'll just stop here. But um, to the place of that altar, to a place of connection, Lot, his nephew, was with him who also had, had flocks and herds and tents. And it says the, the land wasn't able to support them that they might dwell there together for their possessions were becoming so great that they couldn't dwell together. That's interesting. It says there was actually strife between the shepherds, the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and um, of Lot's. It says the Canaanites, the Perizzites also dwelt in the land. So, you know, you've got all kind of uh, sketchy groups there as well. That's just a little sprinkled in there, just so you know. You know and, and, and some of that is like, hey, we want to stay together. We want to be the safety in numbers thing and, and connected because there's bad guys all over the place. But then your shepherds and your herdsmen are having all kinds of beef because like, yo, this, the plot where you're at is not able to sustain all what you've got. And the reality is like, hey, you don't have to be afraid of that stuff. You can actually grow out and you guys can spread out and it's okay. But, but there, there needs to be some space created, right? So the whole land was before him. It says, so Abraham says to Lot, hey, let there be no strife between me and you like there is between our shepherds, our herdsmen, which is very prophetic. It's territorialism. And um, for we're brethren, let's not there be strife. He says, is not the whole land before you? He says, please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. Here's Abram following God, and Lot's like, well, I'm going where you're going, his nephew. They both are growing, they're both thriving, but there's this mentality, I think, too, a lot of times. Abraham takes this, and I feel like it's really a test. He, he started to come to this understanding, I've made my moves based on my own fears and anxieties, going to Egypt, you know, saying I was somebody that I wasn't, doing all these things. 
And it seems now he's starting to trust the Lord. And he's like, hey, my inheritance is good. God is leading me into it. I don't have exact direction here. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you first pick. And that's rare, dude. Because when, when the New Testament, especially like 2 Peter talks about it a lot, like all the, like the jockeying and the territorialism and positioning and the selfish ambitions and all the stuff that people get into that's of the flesh is really just trying to work their way into position or to have a ministry or to have a, have a following or whatever it looks like. It, it produces something dark. But Abraham here is so trusting in God to bring him into his inheritance that he doesn't have a real clear picture. And so he just gives Lot first pick. He's like, well, you just pick which one you want, which area you want. Because most people would be like, well, which one has the, the lakefront and the best water and the best climate? And you know what I mean? We're thinking like, what's best for me? And then me and you are going to try to deal with, well, negotiate and all this stuff. But he just tells Lot like, hey, man, this isn't about what I can pick in my own strength. I'm trusting God. Wh which way do you want to go? So Lot, Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan, which Jordan, you know, yeah, that area, it's, it's like San Diego, like towards that. It was well watered everywhere, um, like the garden of the Lord. It was like Eden. So Lot chose him for himself, the best, abs the absolute best place that he could get. And he journeyed east and they separated from each other. Now we understand if you, you know, read on a little bit, Lot gets in a pretty hairy situation where he goes, right? The whole Sodom and Gomorrah story, the whole Nephilim thing that's going on when those angels show up and those people, what they're trying to do, you know, okay, so, uh, so that's all gonna happen. So what looked like the best, most beautiful, lush, comfortable place was like a, that was the wrong turn, buddy. That was the wrong turn lot, you know what I mean? But I believe it was really a test because Abraham doesn't fight for his position or his inheritance. It's just like the tree of knowledge. Eat this and then you will be like God. It's like, no, he's so trusting in God, his shepherd. We can be in such a posture of heart that we trust in the goodness of God and the kindness to lead us in truth, that we know that we're accurate. We are truly seeking him and we are yielded to him and that he's not a bad shepherd. Like, what if I don't hear him? It's like, well, if you're listening to him, he's not going to let you not hear him. He's not going to not direct you. And so we're not being led of fear, the fear of missing God. We're actually trusting God and moving forward and being faithful in the here and now with God. And we know that he's going to open the right doors. Whereas, you know, the opposite of that test, I mean, I don't even think I need to do the opposite of the test. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's to not trust the Lord with your inheritance. It is to not trust the Lord, to do it in our own strength, to try to see what's the best possible way. And that's what Jeremiah 17 says, it's the heart that departs from the Lord, right? So anyhow, Abraham doesn't fight for his position. Sod, uh, you know, and it just says, so Lot went and, and he dealt in the plains of Sodom, but the, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. That's just a little, little sentence there, but that gets real dark later on. And in verse 14, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, after he gave him that option, sometimes you have to let that happen, y'all. I'm sure that's speaking, but... And he said, lift your eyes now from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, uh, then that's what they would be. Then your descendants would also be numbered. And he says, arise and walk through the land in its length and its width, for I give it to you. And it says, and Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the oak of Mamre. Yeah. 
which are in Hebron, and he built an altar of the Lord there. So Abram meets the Lord again. There, he's right in the midst of an oak tree once again. This one's called, you know, I don't know how to say that in Hebrew. I, I say Mamre, you know, Mamre, that's the way it, the way it looks. But it, that word Mamre means strength. So the Oaks of Teacher was the first one. The Oaks of Strength was the next one. And, and going back to Jeremiah 17, cursed is the one who trusted his own strength. He'll be like a shrub. But blessed is the Lord, the one who trusts in the Lord, which is the strength of God. For he'll be like a tree, not a shrub, a tree whose roots are planted by water. And he will thrive. No matter, even if there's a drought, he will thrive. Think about the lesson Abram was learning. There was a drought. There was a famine. He steered, he steered the wrong direction, became the wrong person, all those things. God redeemed that stuff. He comes back to the first oak where he was, to his teacher. He comes back to this understanding. And the next pillar that's, that's, that's built is at an oak, an oak called strength. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, it's not about me. It's, 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 that, it's that prophecy in Zechariah. You know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It is a spirit walk, y'all. It is the spirit walk. Our strength is in the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like we don't trust in our own strength. And these are the lessons. Lesson one, there's several lessons, but the, the lesson one of that first tree, for us that's very relevant, is fear causes someone to live an absolute lie. He became somebody who, who he was not, who he was never supposed to be, um, because he was afraid. He became Sarai's brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hilarious, but you know, that's, that's what he became. But luckily, the, the Lord bailed him out. Hey, buddy, you don't have to do this. You know. Lesson number two, um, Lot. Lot and Abram. Abram didn't trust his hustle and grind against his, his competition in order to get the best place, in order to make sure he didn't get in a drought. He knew that that had gotten him in trouble before. He lets Lot pick for himself. He's generous. He gives to him. Fear can cause somebody to rush into something that looks really good. Rush into something that looks really good and ignore the voice of the Lord. But as we'll see potentially later, that ended up real bad for old Lot, dude. Real bad. The lessons of Abraham, this, this first one, is, is like he's learning to trust. He's learning to connect. He's learning where his inheritance comes from. And he's learning to walk in the Spirit. He's worrying, which is learning to trust in the Lord. Now, I've already said that, like, you know, Abraham, Abram's name gets changed to Abraham. The, heth, the, the breath of God gets placed in his name. And Sarai becomes Sarah, or Sarai, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that H gets placed in there too. And it's symbolic for us to see that these are people that it seems like they're kind of stumbling around in these stories, which is great. But it's like we can learn so much from them because what they're doing is they're learning to trust in the Lord, which is actually walking in the Spirit. Which they're learning to lean on Him instead of their own understanding, that Proverbs 3. They're learning to do things that might seem unconventional or unwise to, to popular opinion. But what they're doing is aligning themselves more and more out of the inheritance of Adam or their family lineage that they were set to inherit and into the inheritance of Yahweh, the father of lights, 
Ephesians 3.14 For this I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The family in heaven and earth. That's both sides of the tracks. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the house of faith, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you would be filled with the fullness of God. That you would fully trust the Lord, understanding how much He loves you, how much He has you covered, and that the plot and plan of your life would change and come into alignment with whatever His plan and will and purposes are. Because when you seek first the kingdom, all that you need in this life will be added to you. And everything that seems like it was a loss will end up being major gain.